Thanks for tuning in to this special telemedicine edition of the Data Point podcast. This episode is one of several leading up to the annual meeting of the American Telemedicine Association in New Orleans, Louisiana on April 14th through 16th. Check out the conference. I think you're going to want to be there. And if you don't believe me, these next several episodes are going to try and prove it to you. Ten years ago, technology companies like Microsoft and Google jumped into healthcare with both feet, but wound up with little more than wet feet. This time around, they're doing it differently. Amazon has just hired Atul Gawande to lead its healthcare initiatives. Google has just hired David Feinberg, the CEO of Geisinger Health, to lead its healthcare initiatives. And Toby Cosgrove, the former CEO of the Cleveland Clinic, has signed on as a special executive advisor to Google. I think we're going to see some differences this time around. Hello and welcome to DataPoint, the podcast that's all about the ways that data and analytics are driving innovation in healthcare today. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and our guest today is Toby Cosgrove, the former CEO of the Cleveland Clinic and currently an executive advisor both to the Cleveland Clinic and to Google Health. Dr. Cosgrove's career at the Cleveland Clinic spanned over 44 years, 30 of which were spent as a cardiac surgeon, during which time he performed over 22,000 operations. For the last 13 years, he has served as its chief executive officer, overseeing one of the most innovative healthcare organizations in the world. And if that's not enough, he also won a bronze star for his work as a surgeon serving in the Air Force in Vietnam. It was a tremendous honor for me to be able to spend this time with Dr. Cosgrove, and I'm really looking forward to meeting him in April at the American Telemedicine Association's annual meeting. And I have a feeling you're going to enjoy this conversation just as much as I did. Toby, thanks so much for being with us today on the Data Point Podcast. We're really excited to have you. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, when I heard that you and I were both going to be speaking at the American Telemedicine Association, I thought, what a great opportunity to connect with somebody whose work I've followed and admired for a long time. So uh, it's a a special uh, thrill for me to be able to do this interview with you today. Well, thank you. One of the things I like to do on the show, and our listeners are, are well familiar with this, is in addition to talking about some of the interesting work that you're involved in and this um, transition that you're in, in the middle of, I suppose, from a, from a career perspective, I want to give people a little bit of a sense of how you came to be where you are, to get to know you a little bit as a person. And so I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners a, a little bit of history in terms of how you came to be you know, not only the CEO of Cleveland Clinic, but now acting as a special advisor to both the Cleveland Clinic and to Google Cloud Health. Uh, it's an interesting position, and I'm, I'm curious if you can help us with some of the milestones that got you there. Well, sure. I uh, came to the Cleveland Clinic about 44 years ago as a cardiac surgeon, and for 30 years I was a cardiac surgeon, the last 15 of which I was chairman of the department. I had a wonderful uh, career, enjoyed it very much, and I was getting to the point where it was time for me to quit, and um, as I didn't want to be too shaky uh, as a surgeon, and mm. all this, I had no aspirations of doing anything else <clears throat> other than perhaps going into the venture world. And my uh, the CEO at that time, Dr. Floyd Loop, uh, announced his um, retirement, and I was asked to throw my hat in the ring, and so all of a sudden I went from the operating room to the uh, boardroom, 
which was a shocking experience. I can imagine. Um, yes, it was. And um, had uh, a real privilege of uh, having that job for 13 years. And then it became time for me to uh, stand aside and let somebody else uh, take the reins. And I was asked a couple of tech companies if I would be interested in um, being an advisor. And I decided that um, Google would be a good one to do. And the reason I was really interested in that is because of the potential that I saw uh, from tech uh, helping healthcare get more efficient and higher quality. Mm. And uh, so that is, uh, in a nutshell, sort of how I wound up uh, where I am, and it's uh, fascinating. You know, I have heard a couple of things recently that I thought were pretty interesting and and sort of speak to some of the digital uh, and technology-based transformation that's happened at the Cleveland Clinic. Um, I I heard uh, your CIO, Ed Marks, quote a statistic that uh, the number of virtual visits had increased by 70% between 2017 and 2018. Uh, Really interesting to think about extending care beyond the brick and mortar. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that process. Uh, you know, Matt Feyman from the Cleveland Clinic is actually on my panel at the ATA and I know has been working in uh, some of those telehealth initiatives for some time. Can you give us a little bit of a history about how you have thought about the advent and evolution of virtual care as an important part of the continuum? Well, really, it's interesting. It's, it started and I was introduced to it uh, first, maybe when I first became CEO um, and uh, the opportunity to go down and see what was going on in, uh, in uh, the, uh, Texas in terms of managing phys- uh, patients in, in prisons across. And I thought that was a, a really outstanding uh, opportunity and I saw the potential of it. And I came back and uh, tried to introduce it uh, to uh, people at the Cleveland Clinic, and the enthusiasm with which it was met was about zero. <laughs> um, so um, I, I didn't get that up and off the ground. And um, But then we sort of backed into it with a number of things. The first one was uh, we began to monitor everybody in the hospital's EKG centrally. Um, and that turned out to be very successful in identifying early um, cardiac arrhythmias, which were life-threatening. And um, so we then expanded that, actually, to EICUs. Um, And again, uh, that grew over time, so now we're monitoring some 300 um, uh, ICUs, 24 hours a day. Wow. And that is that has been incredibly successful in that it has reduced people's stay in the ICU and it has um, improved the mortality rate in the ICU. And as, as you, I'm sure, aware, it's almost impossible to get intensivists to be full-time in ICUs all over the place. Sure. So our whole, our whole system is now monitored. And then uh, we got involved in stroke, um, and that uh, became uh, a burgeoning area where we could have uh, 24 hours a day uh, stroke neuroradiologists available to uh, read um, distantly uh, strokes, um, people suffering from strokes, CAT scans, and determine whether or not they were 
candidates for lytic therapy. Wow. Um, and then the one that really um, hit me between the eyes was an event that happened personally about five years ago when I was on vacation with my daughters and family on the East Coast and my daughter got a rash on her face. And I took a picture of it with my cell phone and mm -hmm. sent it to the head of dermatology and she announced that this was a poison ivy. No kidding. So that I then I got thinking about this and I thought, my gosh, this saved us a trip to the emergency room, sitting mm -hmm. in the waiting room, uh, going in the, the exam room, taking your clothes off, you know, for a two-minute look at the at the problem, and then turning around and repeating the whole thing, which was probably at minimum a half a day process. Sure. So I came back and again tried to uh, encourage the enthusiasm to the, uh, the dermatologists about this. Again, um, met with substantial skepticism. Um, and then uh, we had um, a couple of events uh, that which really have ignited uh, enthusiasm. Okay. Um, one of those was, was when the chief of orthopedics ruptured his Achilles tendon and wound up uh, seeing a clinic uh, of 23 people from a home in his pajamas and scheduled three <laughs> operations. Okay. So, so the place took notice. Um, and then, um, you know, I became rather strong in my backing of this and really mm -hmm. uh, asked everybody uh, to begin to uh, pick up the pace. Uh, and it's just gone over about four or five years. So I think we've done last year 50,000 visits. Uh, wow. And it's only increasing at really logarithmic rates. And I think uh, the potential for doing this is enormous. You know, one of the things that I read as I was preparing for our discussion today, as I was just looking online for you know, references to Cleveland Clinic and questions people had for you uh, as you were coming into your new role, and one of them that I saw was really interesting. It, the question was, you know, if the if the Cleveland Clinic's model has become so successful, why isn't it being replicated everywhere? Why aren't there Cleveland clinics springing up all over the place? And I know, obviously, you have for a long time had the clinic in, in Florida, I believe, in, in United Arab Emirates, one coming in London, I think. But yes. now I'm thinking, gosh, maybe real estate isn't the best way to expand. Is that is, is this kind of uh, telemedicine approach a, a big part of, of the strategy for growth? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we think we need can, there's um, a tremendous number of places that are desperate for medical opinions, uh, whether it's rural areas in the United States or whether it's, uh, you know, overseas, uh, that you have a potential to expand our capabilities. Um, and just uh, on that note, one of the more successful programs we've had is in neurology. Mm -hmm. um, where many of the community hospitals didn't have access to neurologists, and for a long time we've supported them with telemedicine, which has really been very successful. Excellent. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to be right back with Dr. Toby Cosgrove, so stick around. 
Today's show is brought to you by Bluespire, a full-service digital marketing agency focused on complex and highly regulated industries of healthcare, senior living, and financial services. Rapid changes in the healthcare industry are causing consumers to seek out trusted advice, demand more transparency and access to information and content. With over 30 years of healthcare experience, Bluespire knows how to help you reach, communicate with, and gain trust from these consumers. We help you engage with the right content at every touchpoint, from the first symptom search to appointment scheduling through care management. Visit us at bluespiremarketing.com to learn how we can help you deliver relevant, engaging content through ever-changing touchpoints that matter. All right, we are back. You're listening to Data Point. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and my guest today is Dr. Toby Cosgrove, former CEO of the Cleveland Clinic and now an executive advisor to Google Cloud Health. Dr. Cosgrove, when we went into the break, we were talking a little bit about some of the ability that telehealth gives organizations like the Cleveland Clinic to expand its care without necessarily expanding its real estate footprint. And you mentioned that one of the one of the things that has seen a lot of success in the last few years is the ability to bring really highly specialized capabilities like neurology uh, virtually to parts of the country that don't necessarily have access to those services. And I'd like to play on that a little bit because I think one of the original premises behind telehealth is people are thinking, well, it would be nice if I could replace my in-person visit with a virtual visit. And it's sort of what you did with your with your daughter when you were on vacation, right? But mm-hmm. I think now we're, we've gotten to a point where we can think in a, a way that's a little bit more sophisticated and think, well, it's not just about replacing the face-to-face visit. It has its own place in the continuum of care. I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about your thinking about how telehealth plays into the continuum as opposed to just being a replacement for face-to-face? Yeah, you know, I think that there's an enormous opportunity to uh, check on people more regularly. I mean, think about, for example, um, elderly patients. Mm. Um, How great it would be to be able to check on them at home and make sure they're taking the green pills instead of the red ones. Right. Uh, And... uh, so, and then think about something like rehabilitation. Um, how, how great it would be to patients after, say, they've had orthopedic surgery uh, and you could uh, do their uh, rehab with them at home mm-hmm. uh, by monitoring them uh, virtually. Um, and so that begins to expand and improve the quality of the care uh, significantly over time. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just think that we're going to be able to drive uh, the health provider into the home mm-hmm. in ways that we never could uh, before. We're able to reach people wherever they are. Um, and um, they find, and frankly, our, all of our surveys have find that they like the virtual visits more um, than they do um, the in-person ones. Wow. Uh, And the satisfaction is really very high. Do you see any risk of, I guess, invalidating the need for as much real estate as we have? Is it going to change the way that hospital facilities function? 
Well, I think, we, you know, as we stop and look at the trend uh, that's gone on in hospitals, uh, hospitals have uh, been increasingly very high-tech uh, locations. Mm-hmm. Um, and more and more of the things that are low-tech are taken either to uh, outpatient uh, facilities or they're taken to home care or um, mobile care, if you will. Sure. Um, and as a result, hospitals have become um, such high-tech places. I mean, we can't, for example, build enough ICUs. Mm. Um, they're just being built all the time. Uh, very, uh, and uh, these, uh, as things like orthopedics move out and labor and delivery winds up being a very short uh, period and uh, appendectomies are done by uh, r- robotically mm-hmm. um, and going home in 24 hours. So the stays for non-serious uh, things are getting shortened and being moved to outpatients. And I think that um, we were talking about uh, telehealth as really being an extension of this in many cases. I mean, let, let's think about... Um, Think about diabetes, for example. Okay. Um, how necessary is it for diabetes to come in uh, and see a doctor on a regular basis? Uh, you can monitor their glucose distantly. You can adjust their drugs. You can give them all their um, diabetic instructions. And once a year, you see them for uh, their fundus, the examination of their fundus. Uh, or um, what other uh, associated diseases they need to be mm-hmm. checked for. I think probably the same thing can said, be said for hypertension management. Sure. Um, so uh, I, I think this gets you to closer monitoring, better care, um, and ultimately fewer complications. You know, when we think about all of the ways that these additional touch points can be created. For example, you mentioned the value in being able to connect more regularly with elderly patients or people doing mm-hmm. follow-ups from surgery or you know, people yep. that are managing chronic conditions. It occurs to me that all of these interactions, as they're occurring virtually, are creating more data. They're creating extra data uh, and data that doesn't necessarily have to be you know, manually transcribed into an EMR, there are probably some ways that that data could be creatively used and uh, and incorporated in some automated fashion. And it leads me to the question about Google and we'll, we'll generalize it to other big tech players in this space. Going forward, if we do continue down this road of virtualization that has tremendous exhaust of data, how do you see the relationship between the Googles and the Cleveland clinics or the Amazons and the Cleveland clinics in terms of where that data is stored, how it's processed, what kinds of things are able to be done with it? Well, Greg, I think you brought up a very important point here, you know, and I, we are just swimming in data. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it, and it is something that uh, not just the exhaust, but just think about the publications there are 5,300 journals coming out every year, putting out more than 800,000 articles. I mean, think about that. Data. Think about the human genome mm-hmm. with 3 billion uh, base pairs, and that's becoming a regular part of it. So we are, we've got just 
enormous amounts of data that we're trying to deal with. And it's way beyond the normal storage capacity or intellectual capacity of almost anybody to manage. Sure. So um, so we're going to have to figure out a way to store it, sort it, um, and retrieve it and analyze it. And to me, that's... Uh, and, uh, that's going to well ultimately be where the cloud comes in. Mm. And you stop and think about it, currently almost every hospital has to have uh, a data center of some sort. Sure. Now, for 5,000 hospitals to maintain data centers, I'm pretty sure they don't have the expertise in all of them to do that very well. And then there's, this, then there's the additional issue of security. Right. Um, and with, you know, 5,000 data centers or uh, several thousand data centers, the security, I doubt, is, is going to be as good as it was with a highly curated um, clouds uh, doing this. So mm. I think there's, ultimately all this data is going to have to reside in major uh, clouds and that uh, you get into the issue of having the opportunity to then apply the machine learning and AI uh, capabilities once it gets to the cloud. And then there's one very nice advantage that we missed when we went to electronic medical records, and that that's interoperability. Mm. Uh, all the major tech companies have agreed, if an individual will permit it, to share the stored data uh, in their clouds, and that allows you ultimately to have the interoperability across the country. And that that is a pretty huge deal. I'm I'm curious. I guess you know it's it's taken us a long time to address the interoperability issue. Are the EMRs going to be okay with that? Is that going to is that going to work? Do you think? I mean, you've obviously been there on both sides of that equation. Uh, do you see some roadblocks, or or is this kind of a done deal at this point? Oh no, I'm sure it'll be very easy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's you know, it, kind it, of a silly question, with, isn't it? We, we we've really struggled with this for a long time, and it's been unfortunate that we haven't gotten there faster. But I think we missed our opportunity, and I hopefully the cloud represents a, a second bite of the apple. In as as we're Wrapping this up, Toby, I wanted to I wanted to ask you a little bit about some of the work that you're focused on now. Um, I have heard you quoted saying 2019 is going to be the year of telehealth. Um, I've heard some interesting quotes about really focusing on the problems that need solving in terms of managing schedules and and uh, getting billing right. Um, where do you want to focus your time as you think about? Uh, the rather unique position you hold right now in the the healthcare and technology world. Well, I think that there's enormous opportunity for the, te the tech companies to help us, um, mm -hmm. and uh, we, you know, this is we are the healthcare providers, or healthcare is the biggest industry in the United States. Um, it it is gradually moving from an art to a science. With science comes data, and the data has got to reside someplace. And the capability of analyzing this data and finding new discoveries, uh, 
faster discoveries as a, and uh, associations that we had never anticipated uh, before. Uh, you stop and think, well, we used to have a big clinical series of 1,000 cases, and now you stop and think we have a clinical series of 100,000 cases, and what we Amazing. might learn from that in, in terms of sophistication. Um, the tremendous opportunities, and the tech companies are interested in healthcare. Um, and so if we can take and that energy and apply it, and I think you can apply it both to the clinical and to the business aspects of healthcare, mm. um, it, it is a great opportunity for them and for uh, healthcare providers. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you again for the time that you've given me today. Um, I'm very much looking forward to meeting you face-to-face in New Orleans uh, at the American Telemedicine Association's annual meeting, uh, April 14 through 16. I also want to thank you in general for being such a great leader for us through uh, a really difficult but also a really fascinating time in healthcare. So thank you so much, Toby. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I look forward to seeing you then. Thanks so much for listening to the Data Point podcast. If you like what you've heard, please do rate, review, and share it with your social network. It means a lot. And if you have ideas for show topics or guests, please email them to me at greg at healthquant.health or send a direct message to at Chai Moose on Twitter. That's C-H-I-M-O-O-S-E on Twitter. For more information about this show or any of the terrific healthcare podcasts in the Touchpoint Media Network, check them out at touchpoint.health. See you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.